It's said that if necessity is truly the mother of invention, then opportunity is the father. As we navigate the new normal of life with a global pandemic, opportunity abounds. But do you have the drive, the spirit, to be cognizant of the opportunities that might come your way? What is your attitude towards innovation? Are you actively seeking it? Or does it need to fall out of the sky and land on your head? In this episode of Innovation Driven Growth, we'll examine how opportunity and necessity intersect that will provide a chance for sparking innovation, but only if you're innovation ready and seeking to capitalize. Stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. Here we examine what enables true creativity, how to convert ideas into innovation, and seek out what ignites enterprise-wide growth. I'm your host, entrepreneur, strategist, and muser of metacognition, David Peterson. As more COVID-19 positive cases emerge, it's clear that the pandemic is not retreating during the summer months like the flu. We in the good old US of A and in the world are learning that there truly is a new normal, and it's negatively affected many traditional summer activities. Now, some states are re-implementing shelter-in-place and other restrictions on people gathering, and yet the economic damage that the withdrawal from, quote, normal, end quote, activities could actually be more devastating than the effects of the virus itself. Now, in the face of people potentially risking their lives, there's an opportunity for innovation that allows for public activities and commerce that can be combined with, let's say, reasonable procedures in place that limit risk. So in this vein, I was super excited to see two stories in my recent news feeds that illustrate and show this opportunity is spurring exactly the kind of innovation that I seek to highlight. The first story comes from the town of Montgomery, Ohio. The city leaders wanted to continue their tradition of holding a 4th of July parade, but they knew that putting people you know, crammed together on city streets to view a parade rolling by would not be reasonable given the virus. Now, even the tradition of throwing candy to kids along the route, it's just, not, it's just a bad idea. Hundreds of communities have canceled similar parades and festivals out of an abundance of caution, and, and, and I can't fault them. I mean, if the goal is to be 100% sure, you know, you cancel your event. Well, regardless of whether you feel a parade is a necessity or not, there is definitely an opportunity for creative thinking and innovations. So kudos to the city of Montgomery, Ohio, because they decided to tackle this question, how can we have a safe 4th of July parade? Now, the result of that brainstorming was a reverse parade, an idea that's very similar to how many high schools did graduation back in May. The format for the reverse parade was for the floats and musical acts and all the other traditional parade elements to be set up in a huge parking lot and assigned to a specific spot where the group can be actively participating, doing their thing, if you will, 
but still have intergroup social distancing even within themselves. And then each group remains in its designated space within the, the larger, bigger space. So people wishing to experience the parade would enter the parade and drive slowly through a path that was assigned while they remain in their cars through the entire parade route. So the end result is each car and the people in that car, they get to experience the whole parade. And it even kind of has the effect of the movement of the parade components, but there's no physical interaction at all between the parties experiencing the parade and the people who are performing in the parade itself. There's a few rules. Car windows stay up. Nobody's throwing candy. But all in all, the parade was a huge success. Some really creative parents were innovative themselves and took the opportunity to bring candy in the car and would periodically throw some in the back seat for the kids. You gotta love that. Now, in the show notes, you can learn more about this reverse parade at the link that I provided there. Go check it out. Again, extremely creative and innovative for something that they felt strongly that they wanted to do. We didn't want to just cancel it. Let's come up with, a, with another idea. I've got another story from 5,600 miles away in the great country of Argentina. Now, Argentina is nothing if not a country that has a passion for football. That's what we Americans would call soccer. Yet COVID-19 has had a negative effect on life there. And like us, their country has faced restrictions on group activities in a goal to reduce the overall affection rate, lower the curve, flatten the curve. Now, there's thousands of football club teams across Argentina, all shut down to avoid the kind of close contact that's natural to a well-played football match. So as time goes by and it appears that the restrictions are not going to be lifted or perhaps were partially lifted and then reapplied, there arose a, an opportunity to get innovative on how they were going to meet that challenge. So in order to be able to continue playing matches, one of the amateur leagues came up with a concept of metigal humano or human foosball. Now, you might remember that classic old foosball table. Maybe it was at the YMCA. You might even have had one in your house. You know, it's those metal bars that go across and there's plastic players that sort of occupy a row. Well, in this human version, um, you know, you, you have two players or, or one player, two players on each side, and they can control the actions of their players on the field as long as that little white ball came into the portion where their wrist action could control what happens next. In Mythical Humano, an actual football pitch, the full-size soccer field, if you will, is separated into a series of rectangles, and each team assigns players to an assigned rectangle. So he or she can move the ball at will, but they themselves cannot move out of their assigned part of the field. Thus, this human foosball match can allow for significant and exciting gameplay while eliminating the contact that would occur in a regulation football match. And again, if you go to the show notes, you can access a link where you can see a picture of this uh, in action, right? Now, again, if you're in Argentina, this is a big deal. Like you might be saying, hey, wait a second, is, is playing football, is, is playing soccer 
Is that really a necessity with COVID-19 and what's going on? Is that is that really what we need to be worried about? Well, maybe if you're on a club team in Argentina, you might say emphatically yes. And I, I think there are some things, you know, sort of as we think about our economies, we think about what, what normalcy means to people. I, I don't think we can just somehow seal ourselves away and not realize the corresponding damage that occurs in our effort to stay away from the virus. The point isn't whether football is a necessity, not a necessity. The point is, is that if there's an opportunity, and if that opportunity meets a perceived necessity, there's a place there, there's an intersection for innovation. And the question is, is are you, if you're listening to this podcast, are you looking for, seeking out those intersections and being ready, willing, and able to capitalize on them when they occur. COVID-19 has forced many of us to adjust in things like working from home and how we interact with family and friends, even in the business world, how we communicate and interact with clients and prospects. All are now functioning in a different mode. Well, why don't we use this global pandemic to show how we ourselves or perhaps our company is is different, that we're innovative, that we're forward thinking, that we are that we are looking for that intersection of necessity and opportunity and come up with creative ideas that can thrill and delight our friends and our family and our business stakeholders. How do we how do we seek those out? Well, you know, if you're an adult, you know, listening to this and you might have a, you might just be starting out just a few years in your quote career, you might be a 30 year, 40, 50 year veteran in your career, but you've, you've sort of formed a certain level of creativity and innovation based on where you've gotten to this point. And I'm here to tell you that regardless of where you fit on your own personal assessment of creativity and innovation, it can always be improved. But but think about, let's go back to an earlier step. How does one get to be an adult that, that has an innate or a passion for seeking out innovation and looking for places where necessity and opportunity intersect, right? Are we born with an innovative drive and some people are innovative and some people are not? I don't know. I don't know physiologically the answer to this question. Maybe some are. Maybe Maybe some of us have instilled in us a passion for innovation. But what I actually suspect is that creativity and innovation are a nurture, not nature issue. It's at a very young age, we're exposed to things and our natural curiosity about the world and things like that occur. And as it exhibits in a young person, it's either encouraged or it's discouraged. It's either encouraged or it's discouraged. And I believe that it's likely that kids that are encouraged to innovate, encouraged to be creative, will then continue to grow up and be looking for innovations, looking for the intersection of necessity and opportunity, regardless of whether it's in their personal or their business activities. So that brings me to want to highlight my now nearly 11-year-old grandson, Liam. Very proud of this young man. Liam is naturally creative. He's got an inventive mind. And when he's at Camp Yaya, i.e. over at Grandma's house, he's constantly looking for materials that he can use for some inventive purpose. Sometimes he's just building a cardboard fort. Or he's working with a tool for no other purpose than to understand how that tool works. But sometimes he has a specific in-game result in mind. And so he'll come up with, a, with an ask 
for a certain type of material or access to a specific tool without really revealing what he needs it for. Now, as long as Yaya and I believe that what he's asking for is not inherently dangerous, we will more often than not satisfy his request. And he has shown that he's safely using tools, I guess, as safely as any 10-year-old that I might know. So on a few months back on a very gross and rainy day, we found Liam was, quote, working with a purpose. He was asking for specific items, but didn't reveal why he needed those things. And after about an hour, he announced to us that we could come and see his invention. Hmm. It was not immediately apparent what he had created. There was clearly a medium-sized cardboard box that formed the, the base of this thing, but it, but it had several elements attached to it. And one that I noticed immediately was a very large magnifying glass on one end. Liam proudly states, let me demonstrate. And he turns out the light, borrows my mobile phone, and he goes to a web browser and, and plays a YouTube video. And he places that inside a, a place that he had constructed inside the box. And lo and behold, a projection comes out of the box and goes against his screen, which is basically this dresser that's on the other side of, of this invention. Well, Liam has created what is known as a camera obscura. I'm guessing he had no idea of the specific concept of a camera obscura, but he was convinced that he could figure out how to make a projector, and that's what he worked to make happen. Now, one small problem is that a camera obscura flips the projection at 180 degrees, so when you're looking at it straight on, it was upside down. No problem for Liam. He simply climbed up on top of the dresser serving as the screen and watched it upside down. <laughs> okay, here's the point. If you have a young person that shows any creativity or inventiveness, encourage it. Okay, so maybe they make a mess. Insist that they clean up after themselves. I frequently have to remind Liam about putting away tools. But never, never, ever criticize their creativity. Allowing their creativity to flourish is essential. Resist the temptation to provide too much oversight or any critique. Answer questions and provide advice, but try your best to do so only when asked. Struggling through adversity is the best way for young inventors to learn about problem solving. Besides, chances are they're already watching a YouTube video on how to work something out. We now have a cardboard box we keep at our house that has leftover parts, wires, failed electronic gadgets, and other interesting things that we set aside specifically for Liam. Sometimes he takes things apart with our permission, and he just wants to see how they're constructed. Sometimes he tries to, quote, fix something that's broken. Other times he's harvesting pieces and parts for some other invention whose design is only in his mind. I love his creative spirit and I want to encourage it in any way possible. And that brings me to my last example for this podcast. Now, across the world, there are kids who are growing up with that spark, that creative and innovative spirit. But the ability for them to act on their ideas may be severely limited. Now, my grandson Liam is an American boy. He has so many advantages over millions of children around the world. 
His inventions are based on his personal interests, not some driving need to create a life-giving result that his family may depend on for their very survival. And yet, we often hear stories about some kid in a far-off place with little to no resources who comes up with an amazing innovation that stuns and delights. And I was excited to be introduced to one of these examples in a recent YouTube video by my sister, Linda. You can access the video link in the show notes, and I encourage you to do so. But that video highlights a boy named Kelvin Doe, and he lives in Sierra Leone in Africa. Kelvin locally is known as DJ Focus because he's created a small but fully functioning broadcast radio station using just bits and pieces of electronic junk he finds in the trash. And he publishes, he, he, he puts out news and information and music and, and people are tuning in to hear uh, the programs that he creates. But Kelvin's only 15 years old. But his ingenuity and resourcefulness can rival any college graduate. Now, in the video, you'll learn that Kelvin gets invited to come and spend three weeks at MIT in Massachusetts. And, and he's there to learn and work on projects over a couple of weeks in the summertime. And, and you can look on the video and just see how stunned he is to see all of the equipment uh, and the technology that's at his disposal. And, and he's introduced to engineering concepts and skills that would have been very difficult for him to achieve back in Africa. A, 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 a PhD candidate at MIT, David Singe, he also hails from Sierra Leone, and he spearheaded the exchange program. And David talks about he specifically wanted to provide an opportunity for young people like Kelvin that show exceptional promise and give them an opportunity. I really want you to go check out this full video. You, you will almost certainly be inspired to look for ways that you can encourage creativity and innovation. And that's how we'll advance as a society. There's a young inventor somewhere that has drive, that has inquisitiveness, that has a thirst for innovation. But maybe they live in a place, even in the United States, where there's limited resources. But you know what? Even in far-flung reaches of Africa, there's phones and there's internet. And that gives them access to YouTube videos and other internet content. And from there, you can learn <laughs> essentially anything, right? It's crazy what's available online to, to reach out and, and watch. But even that will only take them so far that someone in a position to provide access to the resources that are beyond the inventor's reach, such as what David Singe did, that person then steps up and makes something happen that creates the spark. Now, as a nation, as the United States, as a society, as a world, we need a lot more spark creators. And most importantly, David from MIT provides us a recurring model to follow. Not a one-off DJ focus experience, but an ongoing program that seeks out those with aptitude and provides the opportunity to encourage and expand on a desire to innovate. Maybe you know a young person who has plenty of resources, but may lack the encouragement to act on their innate drive. Can you be that encourager? Kelvin got a spark from David Singe. Look around at the resources that you command and figure out how you can sponsor somebody, be they around the corner or from around the world, who then has the fuel to innovate, but just needs your spark 
be that spark. Thanks again for investing your valuable time listening to the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. I covet your questions, comments, or critique. You can reach me at david at davidpeterson.com. I'm also on Facebook at DP Speaks and everywhere else on social media at DLP Speaks. I look forward to hearing from you and be sure to look for a new episode soon. Mm-hmm.